Bokertov, good morning everyone. Welcome to the Aliyah Day. Pray that you're doing well and uh, things are going well in your life. Baruch Hashem and being blessed. Hallelujah. It is a beautiful day here. It's a stormy and, uh, you know, a little uh, stormy here in Fort Worth area anyway, but not exactly where I am. So not here in Saginaw. It's a little bit south of us. Not that I'm giving you a weather report. What I'm trying to say is it's a... Hopefully it doesn't mess up our internet. That's the real reason I was telling you about all that. Um, uh, so hopefully it'll it'll do well, Baruch Hashem, because sometimes it gets a little stormy and then the internet uh, fluctuates. So <clears throat> we're praying for uh, better internet service in Saginaw, by the way. Um, praying for some, uh, what do they call it? Fiber optics, uh, Fios or whatever that is. You know, they're, they've been laying that around here. And we've seen them doing it. We're praying that that will be uh, give us an option soon, and we'll be able to get off the uh, antiquated system that we have and be able to do that. That'd be fantastic. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. It'd be great, Baruch Hashem. It is uh, just amazing to be with you. It's we're moving down the the train for. Um, Getting closer to Shabbat, uh, it's that's wonderful. Hashem willing, we're gonna open the synagogue up on May second. That's our plan, unless something drastically changes. And so, if you live locally and you want to uh, attend the shul, or if you, um, uh, or or if you don't live locally and you wanna you wanna drive in uh, or or fly in, or maybe maybe flying's not such a great idea. But you know how I mean. You know, take a take a train, something like that, uh, to get here, then that'd be great too. We're going to practice some protocols for that, and we'll have uh, the Haver Hall open and maybe the Judah Room open as well so that um, uh, we can spread out a little bit. We're not, you know, everybody's not congregated perhaps in one place, and that way people can spread out, and naturally, if you're sick, don't come, and, uh, you know, whatever. If you if you feel like you're vulnerable, uh, then then don't come. Uh, those kinds of things, but we want to open it up. We, we, it's, it's time for people to see each other. It's a real bummer not to be able to come to the shul and have everybody um, have everybody open as well. Tulsa Synagogue, I see Shimon. Tulsa's going to be open on the 2nd as well. And so uh, that's wonderful. We'll have everybody together and speaking to an empty room. is uh, Well, not, it's not empty. empty. There's 10 guys there in, in the Keturah, but, uh, but that's, uh, that's for the birds. I haven't uh, haven't spoken to ten people in like uh, like ten years. So uh, anyway, <laughs> I know I'm I'm not talking to you at home. I understand that, but still, you know, I want to see everybody around me. So uh, that'll be wonderful. So we're looking forward that to that happening. Bezrat Hashem, may Hashem remove the plague from the earth. And um, that's right, Stephanie. No hugging. Total Shomer Nagia, hundred percent. 100%. No hugging, no handshaking, no crying on the shoulders, no uh, none of that. You can wear a mask if you want to. Um, I was telling Zeke and Yosef, you know, he's in the printing business, so we should we should print masks with like a like a Lapid logo on on it, and with the verse from Psalms that says, "Post a guard from my mouth." I think that wouldn't that be great? It'd be like a uh, it'd be like a mask to protect you from illness and lashon hara. Um, in that case, we should wear it all the time. All of us, right? Baruch Hashem. <laughs> Baruch Hashem. 
All right, we're, we have a double portion parasha this week. Parasha Tazria Metzora, which is interesting because we're talking about coming back to Shul on the 2nd, which would mean that we come back to the Shul after we have celebrated the parasha Taz, uh, uh, Tazria Metzora, which, which Tazria Metzora is all about a spiritual illness that keeps us out, out of community. And so when that illness is over, we come back to the community. And we come back to the community under the parasha Karim Kedoshim, which talks about Yom Kippur, which is about how to come back into community, and Kedoshim, how to live in holiness within community. So, you know, Hashem, Hashem is Ein Milvado. There's nothing but Hashem. He controls literally, literally everything. As, as I, I've just, as, as I've been meditating on that concept, which I've known for years, naturally. But sometimes you can know a concept, and then it requires, you know, uh, a lot of meditation for that to really sink down into your soul. And so I've come to realize that Ein on Milvado, that Hashem is literally in control of, of literally everything, not just some things, but literally everything. And there's nothing but Him, and so everything that happens is Him. And so uh, we had to attribute it to everything. So... We come back to shul after the Tazria Medzora, and then we, when we get back to shul, we 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 start off uh, anew in our our renewed uh, shul status with Akarimot Kedoshim. After the death, Akarimot means after the death, so after the plague, and Kedoshim is is holiness. So after the plague, we enter into holiness. <laughs> wow! So uh, there's that. All right, so uh, it's a, like I said, it's a double portion. I think what we'll do is we'll read the first portion of Tazria today, and um, well, I don't know. We'll just figure it out. Let's let's read the first portion of Tazria. We'll, I'm trying to. I always try to figure out how to do two, how to do a double portion because you know uh, trying to do both at the same time. Uh, but we'll just read the first portion of Tazria today, and then we'll comment about them. I want to. I want to bring down some comments that were left on the table. Uh, no pun intended, about Kashrut, because they're important. We didn't get to them. We had such breaking news about the uh, mikvah, which is so phenomenal. We didn't got to get a chance to really dive into uh, the uh, Kedusha, dive into. You know, um, sometimes your mind just throws out puns subconsciously. Anyway, so it says we are on the, uh, we're in the Chumash, which is on page 609, chapter 12. Of Parasha Tazria, and uh, here is here is the first reading of Tazria. Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, "Speak to the children of Israel, saying, When a woman conceives and give birth to a male, she shall be contaminated for a seven-day period, as during the days of her separation, infirmity shall be shall she be contaminated." On the eighth day, the flesh of the foreskin shall be circumcised. For thirty-three days, she shall remain in blood of the impurity. Of, of purity. She may not touch anything sacred. She may not enter the sanctuary until the completion of her days of purity. Now, let me just say a couple things with this really quickly. This, when it talks about not entering the sanctuary or that she's impure or whatever, we're going to talk about the, the, the reason why she's impure. But 
I want to emphasize that when it talks about entering the sanctuary, it's talking about the base amigdash, not the shul. The shul, the synagogue, is not the temple. Now, in Reformed Judaism, this is how you know if somebody's Reformed, if they're Reformed Jewish. If they're Reformed, they'll refer to their house of, of worship as a temple. Uh, Orthodox Jews will never refer to the synagogue as a temple, and in fact, it's really kind of blasphemous to do so. So, uh, not that it's a super big deal, but on, on occasion you'll be out and about, and people don't know what they don't know, they assume that all, all Jews go to temple because 80% of the Jews in America are Reformed, and so that's the Jews they didn't know go to temple. So, a lot of times people run into me, and they'll, oh, where do you go to temple? And and I just somehow, I somehow find a, a, a polite way to just mention, oh, I go to synagogue, and, and I don't, I never say, oh, well, you know, when they say, where do you go to temple, I don't just say, oh, uh, Sar Shalom, because I don't, I don't want to, Sar Shalom is not a temple. <clears throat> um, but the reason that the Reform Judaism calls their places of worship temples is because they don't want the temple. They're not expecting a third temple, and uh, they don't expect a literal Mashiach. They don't expect that type of thing. And so basically, they want it's kind of like Jehovah's Witness. Like they want their little place to be the kingdom hall or whatever. Uh, so, but sometimes when people come into Torah, because they don't have the sources and they just they're just reading their 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 solo soup Torah, whatever, they think, well, I have a baby, so I'm not allowed to come to shul for for 30 days. And that's not true. That's really what I'm getting at. It's not true. So when it talks about you're not to touch the sacred things, you're not to enter the sanctuary, that's talking about the temple. It's not talking about the, the synagogue. Now, the synagogue is sanctified space, yes, but not to that level. Okay? Because if that were true, then nobody could come to synagogue, including me, ever. Because we would require the sprinkling of the ashes of the red heifer. So obviously, um, it's not the temple and it's not even where, anywhere close on that level. So, it says, if she gives birth to a female, she shall be contaminated for two weeks as during her separation. And for 66 days, she shall remain in the blood of her purity. So, uh, let me just go ahead and pause here and say that um, it seems kind of peculiar, right? A, a, a woman has a baby, um, and she's impure. It seems kind of odd, doesn't it? I mean, like a woman is supposed to have a baby. Like that's how she's been, she was created for that purpose. Well, not just for that purpose, but you understand what I mean. I mean, her body is about that, right? And so it seems odd that a woman would have a child, which God created her to do, and then that would make her impure. And a lot of people read this, and uh, they think to themselves, well, this is unfair. Why should I be punished because I had a baby? That's not the it. It's not. Impurity does not imply dirtiness or filth or sin. Pure, in, in being impure doesn't imply that. It simply means, as we're going to read in just a moment, um, that an and a, a, a situation of death has occurred, and that death cannot come into contact with life, i.e. the temple, until after a specified amount of time. Now, 
one is going to ask the question, and rightfully so, what are you talking about, death? I just gave birth to new life. That's true. However, the reality is that the moment a child is born, that child is on the way to the grave. So I know this is a very morbid way to look at it. We, we typically look at the birth of a new baby very joyfully, as we should, 100%. It's very exciting. But there's the reality of life, which is also death, which is also life, which is all a result of the sin and the fall of Adam at the uh, tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, you know, Hashem has been talking to me about this even more so recently. Um, on occasion, I like to give you insights into the personality and mind of the, of the rabbi. I don't know why. Maybe, I don't know. It doesn't matter why. But um, I've often thought, there's if I wasn't doing what I was doing now, what else could I do that would fulfill kind of what I feel called to do. Um, aside from being a, uh, a vocalist in a, in a band, um, I thought about this. Kidding about the vocalist part. But in all seriousness, I, I've actually thought I would, I would really enjoy, I say enjoy. Uh, well, anyway. Let me just say it. I would really enjoy being a funeral director. Not a mortician. I'm not so much into that part of it, but a funeral director. And, uh, and I may catch some of you by surprise. Um, may even keep catch my wife by surprise. I don't know. But I've, I've done a lot of funerals in my time. Um, I used to do that prior to Sar Shalom. Um, that was one of the th ways of ministry that I did. I was a hospice chaplain for a while, and I don't know, I just kind of came into this realization that no matter who you are, and we never like to think about it, and, and, and we shouldn't th sit around like thinking about it, I, mean, I don't want to be uh, depressed or whatever, but the reality is, is that w death is a part of life, and that everybody who's ever lived, and um, who's ever going to live is going to die. This is the reality. This is the sad reality thanks to our sin, thanks to Adam, thanks to the the, the, the serpent and so on. And uh, I just got a lot of comfort out of helping people uh, with that transition. Helping the person, helping the family members. And it. Uh, so I've done a lot of funerals, a lot. Um and uh, I just always felt it a great honor. I felt it a great something just really moving. Well, this is the reality of giving birth to a child. Giving birth to a child is, and by the way, uh, escorting the dead is considered one of the highest mitzvahs, if not the highest. Uh, so we're all going to, we're all going to die. I'm, of course, I, I pray that our, I, all of our eyes will see the coming of the Mashiach naturally, you know, but. Uh, that's all the, this reality. The people that I know that are my great heroes, you know, from history, uh, whether they're biblical heroes or other type of heroes, you know, um, like Napoleon, uh, they're all dead. And, uh, I don't know, is there's, there's, there's some comfort in that. There's some comfort in that 
to the extent that it's not like uh, death chooses people indiscriminately. Like we all end up in the same place. All right, I'm not I'm not trying to be downer here, but this is death is a part of life. It's a part of life, and for those of us who believe in Hashem and believe in the resurrection, it's really the beginning of new life. And so there's that. Uh, but when you give birth to a child, the reason that there's an impurity is because the child is a beautiful gift. It's a wonderful thing. Everybody's excited. Oh, it's so cute. Lookity, looky, looky. And the baby's going to die. That's the sad reality. Now, why is it doubled for a female? Because this leads people to think, see, Judaism just hates women. It's not it at all. When you give birth to a female child, little girls are so cute. I mean, they're just... Right? I mean, they're just so cute. But here's the reality. That the little baby girl is also going to give birth to babies, we hope. Bezrat Hashem. And those babies to whom that girl is going to give birth are going to be the same thing. Giving birth to a child who's going to end up in the grave. So that's why it's doubled for a, a, a girl. Because of that reality. It's just a simple fact of life. And so, everything I've just said is in, intended, and hopefully I've been eloquent in trying to do this, but it's been intended to bring comfort, because a lot of people read this and they feel like it's, a lot of women read this, and they feel, feel like it's a slam against women, and it's not. It's not at all. It's just a reality of life. The same thing that when a man um, is considered to be impure after intimacy, well, again, it's like that. Well, that's what are you talking about? First of all, that's how God created us. It's a natural function. It's as natural as eating. And and then we're having that in a in a godly environment. And yet we're impure. Same thing. Same thing. Okay. So it says, going on in verse 6, Upon the completion of the days of her purity for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a sheep within its first year as an elevation offering and a young dove or a turtle dove. This is what Miriam did after the birth of Mashiach. Isn't that interesting? That um, Miriam... That Miriam... Uh, just think about this. I feel like I'm going on rabbit trail this morning. I'm really trying not to, but... Um, think about Miriam she's visited by Gabriel or by an angel do we anyway it doesn't matter and, and told about this thing about uh, having the Mashiach and so you would think that she would have enough insight from Hashem to know if this certain theology is true that the Torah has been done away with But she doesn't. In fact, it's quite the opposite. She gives birth to the Mashiach, and she's sure to to, to follow Parashat Tazria. That she brings her offering after her time of purification, it tells us. Just an interesting insight. The reason that Miriam was chosen, the reason I'm bringing this up, the reason that Elizabeth was chosen for yoking on the Mercer, and the reason that Miriam was chosen to give birth to Mashiach, those two women were chosen because... They, were, they had so much fidelity to God's Torah. That's, that was the qualifier for their great roles. So anyway, it says in verse, uh, Capitulo 7, la palabra de Dios dice, 
He shall offer it before Adonai and atone for her, and she becomes purified from the source of her blood. This is the law of the one who gives birth to the male or to a female, but if he cannot afford a sheep, then he shall take two turtle doves or two young doves, one for an elevation offering and one for a sin offering, and the Kohen shall provide atonement for her, and she shall become purified. Chapter 13. Adonai spoke to Moshe and to Aaron, saying, If a person will have on the skin of his flesh a sace, or sapakas, or bares, and it will become zaras, affliction on the skin of his flesh, he shall be brought to Aaron the Kohen, or to one of his sons of the Kohenim. It says, The Kohen shall look at the affliction of the skin of his flesh, and the hair of the affliction has changed to its white, and the affliction appearance is deeper than the skin of the flesh, it is a zaras affliction. The Kohen shall look at it and declare him contaminated. If it is a white baris on the skin of his flesh, and its appearance is not deeper than the skin, and the hair is not changed to white, then the Kohen shall quarantine the affliction for a seven-day period. The Kohen shall look at it on the seventh day, and behold, the affliction retained its color, and the affliction did not spread to the skin, then the Kohen shall quarantine it for a second seven-day period. A lot of people believe, or have taught, or have said, that... All of this is just simply about um, medical things, and it's, it's about trying to prevent contamination in the community. That is not true. And the re- one of the reasons we know it's not true is because this is the only, the only medical thing that, uh, a medical ailment, um, that someone is to go see the Cohen about. Meaning, it doesn't say in the Torah, you know, if you've got a sore throat. Listen, uh, what's it called? Strep throat. Strep throat is very con- contagious, right? It doesn't say, well, if you have strep throat, go to the Cohen, uh, open your mouth, say ah, let him look in there, and he'll de- decide if it's strep throat or not. Or something else. So if you've got uh, some other type of communicable disease, you've got a cold, if you're sniffling. It doesn't say if you're sniffling and you're sneezing. Uh, go to the Cohen and he'll he'll diagnose you if you have a cold virus or not, and, and then he'll put you in contamination. No, it, it's uh, a quarantine on it. Uh, so it's not about health. This is a specific ailment. The Cohen was not the physician. It has nothing to do with that. This is a specific um, ailment, as it says in the Kehol Tumash to give an, uh, to give this in, insight. It says Zarat is neither any disease with which we are familiar today nor any natural disease that was ever known to humanity. So by the way, it's not leprosy. A lot of people, or a lot of translations, I should say, translate this word as leprosy, but it's not leprosy. It is zarat. It's a spiritual problem. It says it is a physical condition directly and miraculously resulting from some spiritual flaw. Rather than one contracted by a lack of hygiene or by exposure to any physical contagion. So, what we're talking about here is a spiritual disease. This is not a physical disease. And it's very important. And, and, and it's, it's interesting that that, uh, that simple fact... Uh, has escaped most most commentators. They, they read this, oh, it's just about uh, you know not wanting to contaminate community. Okay, so why is it just that one thing? 
why is it there's many things that can be a contamination to to a community? Um, so a couple of insights I want to I want to share just from PowerShell Shimini. Um, that got left on the table. This this one I think is important. I wasn't going to share it, but but now I see it and I thought oh, I should. Pardon. It says it. It says um, talking about Nadab and Abihu. This is just a real quick reference here. It says the two brothers, it is true, had not reached the age of twenty, according to the Zohar, but their pride, their pride persuaded them to want to remain unmarried. What woman could be worthy of us? They asked. Our father's brother is king. Our mother's brother is chief among the twelve tribes of Israel. Our father is the Kohen Gadol, and we are his assistants. It says their insistence on bachelorhood disqualified them to perform the Avodah because they could not fully share in the destiny of the people. I just want to point this out because Judaism puts a high value on marriage, and it strongly discouraged singlehood. Now, this is not to... um, create a uh, any kind of negativity towards those who are single. People are single. They just haven't met the right person yet. And there's all kinds of different um, there's all kinds of different reasons for that and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you're single, this is not a condemnation. It's just simply, I'm simply uh, expressing the values of Judaism and, and which is the values of the Torah. The values of the Torah is that a man and woman should be married and that's the a man needs a woman, a woman needs a man. That's that's the whole thing, right? Um, and Paul once said, you know, that a man should not be married. Well, clearly Paul was wrong. He was absolutely wrong 100%. But why did Paul say that? Well, because Paul in his time, according to tradition, Paul died in 68 AD um, prior to the destruction of the temple. According to Paul, evidently, he thought the Messiah was coming back like tomorrow. Um, and he thought to himself he didn't have time for marriage because marriage uh, would require him to uh, not have the, the freedom that he had to travel the world and preach the gospel. It's hard to do what he did if you have a wife and, and children because, you know, uh, it's obvious why that's more difficult. Okay, So, so he's advising people, let's don't get married, you don't, have, you don't have time for it. Well... Paul didn't think that the Mashiach would be 2,000 years delayed. Clearly, Paul is, was wrong. Simple, simple. You can't deny that he You can't deny it. Because the, the Torah tells us to get married, right? So if Paul says, don't get married, and God says, get married, who do you think we should follow? Don't answer that. Just think about it. Um, I just want to throw that out there. That was one of the problems with Nadab and Abihu. Um... So that's what's going on. So it says, um, going back again, I uh, just have a couple minutes here. I'm, I'll, I'll, we're we're going to come back to Tazria Mitzora. We'll talk about it tomorrow uh, more. I'm going to dive into more of the insights, expl- explanations about it. But I just want to share a couple of things here that are relative to um, Kashrut. Kashrut, we have to understand something, is the foundation of holiness. Kashrut is a prerequisite um, for Kedusha. And it's it's not a trivial matter. It's something that's very important. It's why when people start to come to the shul, they start to work towards conversion. We encourage them 
to start working towards a kosher kitchen. I didn't say they have to have a kosher kitchen before you know their 30 days is up. Um, uh, what I said was they have to start working towards it, start to buy kosher food, start to start to learn about it, study about it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because it's very important. But one of the reasons it's important um, is, as I talked about, that that all sin came from us failing to abide by God's food laws. But it's interesting that what what Rabbi Monk is bringing down here is that in Parsha Shemini, we saw the establishment of of the ten, of the tabernacle and God's glory and presence coming down. And basically, this was like a return to Eden. This was the first time in history where God's presence was, you could say, returned to the earth, so to speak. Whereas he used to walk among his people in the cool of the evening in the Garden of Eden. But then after the fall, his presence was taken away because sin separates us from God. So with the tabernacle, we... We were able to bring God's presence back to the earth, and he's able to dwell amongst his people. Well, it's interesting that that being the case, a return to Eden, the very next thing that we're given after that is what we should eat and what we shouldn't eat. This is how important it is to God. This is what I really wanted to bring out. It says, this too is a new beginning built on the same foundation of creation. It says here, as so the first law destined to inaugurate the new relationship with God again refers to food. It is the initial step on the road to the ideal of Kedusha, holiness. This time, however, the law is addressed only to the Jewish people. Now, why is that the case? Because the Jewish people are the covenant people. Now, the covenant is open to anybody who wants to be in covenant, but you have to join the covenant, which means you have to become a Jewish people. So it says, For at the crossroads that was Sinai, Israel parted ways with the other nations. Israel chose the path of loyalty to the one God, a choice that led to the knowledge of truth through divine revelation. Thus, Israel became the repository of the eternal law, that is, the Torah. Somebody says, I want to be in covenant, but I don't want to be a Jew. I'm just, I'm sorry to tell you that's an impossibility. It's an impossibility. It's like saying, I want to become an American citizen, but I don't want to be an American. End of our Aliyah today. We'll be back tomorrow. We have a lot more insights we want to share from Parashat Tazria and Metzorah and dive uh, more into these topics. There's a lot to share, but we are out of time. We're never out of content. We want to be uh, back with you tomorrow. Everybody have a great, wonderful day. looks like there's some weather out there around, so everybody be safe. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing everybody tomorrow with uh, bells on, so to speak. Shalom Aleichem.